Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. Welcome to an all new episode of the Theater Podcast Intimate Personal Conversations with the Industry's Biggest Names. I'm your host, Alan Seals. And our guests for this episode are Mary Lou Henner and Caroline Aaron. And Mary Lou, of course, you probably know as uh, Frenchie in the original cast of Grease, as well as her iconic role on the hit TV show Taxi from uh, <laughs> from the early 80s. And of course, Caroline Aaron, known for her role recently in uh, Mrs. Maisel, but also in her role in films from Mike Nichols, Nora Ephron, Woody Allen, and so much more. These two have such a, a lifelong, decades and decades long friendship that obviously comes out. They're now in an off-Broadway show together that I am about to go see as I am recording this right now. So I am super excited to see it. Uh, just a little heads up that we did record right before the SAG strike ended. So Mary Lou mentions that there's a couple things she's not allowed to talk about because at the time we recorded, they were still not allowed to talk about it. So hopefully all of that is coming to an end now. And as promised, I'm going to follow up with Mary Lou and uh, we'll have her back at some point to talk about her her secret stories that she can't mention <laughs> in this episode. Find me online in all the places you normally find me on the social medias. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with lifelong friends, Caroline and Mary Lou. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am so excited to introduce our two guests for this episode. Mary Lou Henner has been in seven Broadway shows, two classic sitcoms, which are Taxi and Evening Shade, has five Golden Globe nominations, is a New York Times bestselling author of 10 books, and is one of 12 people documented with highly superior autobiographical memory. Caroline Aaron gained prominence in the 1980s with roles in films directed by Woody Allen, Mike Nichols, and Nora Ephron. Her career, her television career includes recurring roles in, of course, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Transparent, and The Leftovers. A seasoned theater actress, Aaron has performed on Broadway and in numerous off-Broadway and regional productions. These two have uh, so much experience. I cannot wait to dive in. <laughs> Mary Lou and Caroline, welcome to the theater podcast. Well, thank you so much. Thank, um, thank you. Thanks for inviting us. We, we don't get to do we we've been on stage quite a few times together and we've been best friends since uh december 26 1986 which was a friday because <laughs> we got to play sisters on broadway but i don't think we've ever done like you know it, it's never been this three of us so no cool. wait wait see the two of you have never talked about how you met let's start there then i want to know i want to know all the details yeah you start caroline because you were there already at uh right social security um, i was doing um 
a Broadway show called Social Security with Marlo Thomas, and she was exiting and Mary Lou was entering. I didn't know her, but I came down the stairs. She'd seen the show that afternoon. They were wooing her, and there she was. And I would say it was sort of adore at first sight. It was. Honestly. Right away, we just like started talking. Was, we felt, and we were playing, we were supposed to play sisters. So right away we bonded. And our, our husbands at the time uh, were, have the same birthday, years apart, but the, the exact same birthday, July 16th. So we just, you know, we just like, and then, I mean, it, it, you know, like when you meet somebody and you just instantly become family, not only did we become family, but we had children who became family. And actually her daughter, what? Sydney, and my son, Joey, graduated high school together, too. So we did all the school stuff together as well. Yes, it's true. It's true. Um, it went on and on. And then we, I think we did that show together for about eight weeks. And that really sealed the deal. Even though I was in New York, Mary Lou was in LA. And then I ended up relocating to LA. And I had a house rented for me by the theater that I, that had brought me out to LA. And it was literally down the street from Mary Lou's house. <laughs> I mean, what are the and odds in Los Angeles, which is huge. I know. It was crazy. It was like, when I said, oh, where did they put you up? She said, outpost. I was like, Outpost, like what's the address? That's like walking. That, that's like my neighborhood. That's like right there. <laughs> you know? I started out in New York and was brought out to Los Angeles. I think it switched during my time in Los Angeles, yeah. which is now it's a much harder runway to begin your career in New York. I'll tell you, when I was doing this film, Twenty One Jump Street, there were lots of kids playing high school students. And they had all been in New York and said they couldn't get any traction, that they had to go to Los Angeles in order to get on a television show in order to be in a play in New York. Right. It used to be, you know, that that was being on television for New York theater actors was something that people shunned. And now we pray for it. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, it really does open doors now. It's in incredible. I mean, you can tell like we're, we're about to do something off Broadway and everybody from LA is going to be in New York. All my buddies are there and everybody's doing something this season, it seems. So it's kind of cool. I guess if you want to find a silver lining in the SAG strike, right, That's we're right. seeing a lot of these people who are now have the free time to be able to to give themselves to the commitment of live theater. And and I was going to save this question for later. You know, it's one of the cliche things of like, what do you like better, TV or film or, or theater, right? But and everybody loves theater. And yeah. and I'm putting words in your mouth. And I assume the theater is the answer because you can't beat live theater. Yeah. But when you can't beat the money of TV and film either, so it's this. Yeah. <laughs> it's this well, I mean, but doing a sitcom choice to make. that that has a three. Cam four camera sitcom is also kind of the best of both worlds in a lot of ways because you work on it all week and you finally shape it and hone it and becomes this little playlet and then all of a sudden you get to do it in front of people so you get the audience reaction feels live and then it's recorded for all time so you know having done the show that i did am i allowed to say i've been ca saying calling it uber in interviews like crazy so let's <laughs> call it uber <laughs> uber through this whole interview but you know which one i'm talking about yeah and yes, so, yes. And totally. so close. In response to what you said, I always said, if you got paid in the theater, what you get paid to be on TV and you got paid on TV, what you get paid to be in the theater, they'd really have to look around for actors to be on TV. Things on television now are so different than they were when we first started out. Right, right, crazy right. with with all of the I don't even know what we're allowed to say with all the other, you know, opportunities to watch something. There's some great work being done on the on your there phone <laughs> so 
Yeah. Well, yeah. So people people are getting cast for Broadway shows. They're being discovered. Like, look at um, uh, the the Dorothy and the Wiz right now. Who's yeah. going to make her Broadway debut? Right. She was discovered, I think, on TikTok. Yeah. Right. It was either TikTok or Instagram. So, yeah, so yeah, she yeah. was discovered on social media. And there's all these other people who are using social media. And and you've got people like Alex Wise and Wesley Taylor who are writing something as great as the Indoor Boys that is just blown up on YouTube or on as a web series. And they're they're winning legitimate awards and opening doors to what I want to put in air quotes as legitimate TV mm -hmm. and film, right? But it's still right. shot just the same. You can just distribute it on your own. It's amazing. Right. Kids today, I, I did an event the other night here in Los Angeles and these kids performed and I could not believe the dancing. And they said, we got turned on to dancing. And I thought, oh, from, so you think you can dance or dance with the stars? And they went, no, TikTok. It was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like even behind. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when people ask me this question, you're right, Adam, it is a very familiar question. It's, you know, the expression, the place, the thing. It's all about the writing. Wherever there is good writing, there are good acting opportunities. And that can happen in the theater and and on television, which wasn't true 20 years ago, and in film. But there are such great parts that are being distributed throughout all of these opportunities. And we want to go where the parts are. Yeah. And speaking well, of that. We should probably start talking about uh, men, women of the West, because there's so much to say about that and our relationship in it and the relationship with all the other actresses in it, which is so cool that we all know each other for many, 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 many years. And it's about friends, four friends who were college friends and now have some have stayed close, some haven't. And it's just incredible what happens when you get four actresses who have known each other for a very long time up on that stage. It's a blast. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to read the the byline of the show here. So Mad Women of the West, uh, which is going to begin performances. I think it will have started by the time this episode airs. So it starts on November 11th at the Actors Temple Theater uh, off Broadway. And OK, so the byline. Welcome to Jules' stunning Brentwood mansion where hangry she's sugar cleansing. Marilyn is throwing a surprise birthday party for Claudia, who hates birthdays. Champagne cork pops, tempers flare. Their longest strange celebrity friend Zoe crashes the party fresh from her TED talk uh, expect hilarity outrageous opinions uh, unexpected wisdom about what it means to be a woman no matter what pronouns you use in the 21st century and I love the juxtaposition of uh, the cast um, women of a certain age with uh, what I'm going to equate with what we were just talking about of the kids these days you know <laughs> concepts that are just now coming fresh into the zeitgeist of, of mm -hmm. theater and, and the show. So like, I guess, yeah, let's start with that. Like, where did you even, wh what did you think when you first read the script for this? Well, the script evolved. Um, Sandra Singh Lowe is a writer who I not only admire, but who I'd worked with before. And this is the very first play she's written that she is not in. She called me, you know, during the pandemic and said, I want to write a play, but I don't want to be in it. And she said 67% of theater tickets in this country from community theater through Broadway are bought by women over 50 and they're not on stage. Huh. And I'm going to put them on stage. So we started talking and she had these archetypes in mind. And I sort of lassoed Mary Lou <laughs> and now Brooke Adams and Melanie into being a part of this. So for two years during the pandemic, through New York stage and film, obviously none of us could be together. Every month or so, we would get summoned over Zoom. Sandra has some new pages. Sandra has some new pages. We would read them out loud. We would discuss it. And so this has really been a process. And then 
We put it on its feet in Los Angeles last summer. And it was, and then, you know, you know, it's always a high wire act. You don't know, especially when something is in development, you have no idea how an audience is going to respond. As the great Mike Nichols used to say, you never know what you have until the folks come. Well, the folks in Los Angeles came and they came and they came and they adored it. And we were a balls out hit. I lived in LA for 23 years. There's a lot of theater there was never in a hit this big. Wow. So she found some need um, that people are really hungry for to see these relationships and to see women on stage together. It's so fun because we talk about everything that people talk about, that women talk about, not just people, not, not just women, everybody talks about it, whether it's relationships or how you feel about your body or how you feel about sex or how you feel about your careers, everything. Nothing is off the table there. And it's so fabulous to just see the four different types. You know, I, I did the show Grease before it started. I can talk about the show, not the movie. Uh, the show way before it went to Broadway or anything else or you know the movie or whatever. And everybody goes, well, why is that such a hit? And I said, because you have those types that were in high school. On this stage right now, you've got four different women who are very different but you have there's everybody's going to know one of those characters or they are one of those characters or they love the relationship between two of the characters. And it just seems to be dealing with universal themes. And because God is in the details, the specificity of our characters really kind of brings out the magic. And it is a wild mm -hmm. ride. It is so much fun to do that we all, uh, Caroline and I were dressing roommates when we were doing it here in Los Angeles. And it was always like, what are we going to find out tonight? You know, what is the audience right. going to be like? Because the audience gets involved. She gives them permission. Caroline comes out first and she gives them permission to like talk to us. And we break the fourth wall. We ask them questions. And it's they do. insane. It's insane what happens. And it's every night's different. Every night is a blast. It's crazy. When are you going to see it? When am I going to see it? Yeah. I, I want to see it. I want to see it as soon as I can. Okay. I want to see it next week, hopefully, when it opens. Yeah, she she did write the parts on our backs. Yeah. There's no did. question. I mean, it is a combination. I mean, I would say that Mary Lou's character is the most authentic to Mary Lou. And it because I've known Sandra for so long, it many of these parts are also ripped from the headlines of her life because she's also our peer. So we right. have that in common. But as she went along, we contributed an awful lot to the play as it evolved based on us narrating to her what our personal experiences were. And then she just incorporated that yeah. into the piece. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, the third time Caroline and I have worked together and no one is funnier than Caroline. So wait till everybody sees what she does on the stage. And I am so happy that as my character, I'm allowed to laugh at some of the things she does. Because otherwise I would, you know, I yeah. Mean, yeah, otherwise I wouldn't be, I'd be, I'd be biting the inside of my cheeks all the time. I'll tell you that um, the playwright, you know, her goal for this piece was to start a conversation or to continue the conversation that she began with us. She wants the audience to have a conversation afterwards because there is, you know, we've, we've just 
come out of a very woke time. We're making some corrections in our society that are long overdue. But in making those corrections, we've also muzzled people. And she is taking the muzzles off of these characters, letting them say whatever they want. And there are people that are going to be offended. And there are people who are going to be delighted. And that's what she wants more than anything. Because when we first started doing this in L.A. and and I had an interview for the New York Times with Maisel and the writer wanted to know what I was doing next. And I said this and I was so excited. And I said to her, oh, I think the New York Times might want to do an article on the play. And she said, no, 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 we don't need that. I said, what? I said, why? And she said, I want to just start a conversation. I want this to be about the people who come see it and have encountered it and for them to keep this narrative going for themselves in their own lives. So, yes, the New York Times hopefully will come and we <laughs> yes. will do all of those kinds of things. But, I mean, her real goal, and it's what theater is there for, is to really bring us closer and have people, you know, I always feel like when I go to the theater, I know I've seen something good when I go out afterwards and we continue to talk about what we just saw. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? You Then you go, sure. oh, and that's what this will be. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. You know, we're going to be doing, please tell your listeners that we're going to be doing talkbacks with the audience, you know, things after the show. Um, there are going to be certain performances where the audience will stick around and we'll be up on stage and answering questions and everything else, because that's always good. I'm so eager to see what it's going to be like between an L.A. audience and and a New York audience, because even though I've done Broadway and stuff, it, it's always different, you know, and especially with this piece where the audience gets so involved and there's a lot to say yeah. and think about. For sure. That's what that's what I was going to say next was that the L.A., the LA uh, audiences and New York audiences are are quite different, I think. And then even in New York, the Broadway and the off-Broadway, because you get the Broadway, uh, for whatever it's worth, is, I think, a lot more touristy because they come for the big names, the big shows, the big budget musicals, and you don't have a $30 million off-Broadway show. (laughs) We certainly don't. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just hope we don't ever. No, No, but you're absolutely right. I forgot about that, that Yes, the, the, the audiences can be quite different and their expectations are different. And this is a show that really embraces the audience and welcomes them. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not sit back and be entertained. It's participate in the dialogue right. with us. And also had, we're doing, it, an, we're doing okay. it at the Actors Temple, which is pretty like, you know, it's very like, whoa. We're, uh, we don't have Friday night performances, of course, um, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays into it as well. It's yeah. It's really it's really interesting uh, seeing seeing things when they transition um, from one coast to the other, and then even things that are popular enough to go from off Broadway to Broadway. Because there's there's always there has to be an evolution, and there has to be um, some sort of adaptation adaptation, especially for something that's like this that you said is has so much audience interaction. And so, like Caroline, you're already here, right? I'm Mary Lou. You're you're about to come to the New York to the New York side of the world right after but, this Zoom, like, Caroline. If, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right. So, Caroline, have you been here rehearsing already, like, and and kind of adapting and changing at all, or is it just like, let's see no, what happens? No, we did everything. I went to L.A. Right. for two months. Everybody was in L.A., and our playwright is based in L.A., so we started in L.A., and now I get to be home, but I have no idea what to expect. Um, I think we, you know, the playwright is making adjustments for the fact that it is a New York audience. And I'm exactly like Mary Lou. I mean, I'm very, very curious as to, you know, I think of maybe this is not fair, but I think of a New York theater audience as being more um, 
theater friendly than an LA audience. I did a lot of theater in LA with a lot of empty seats until this show. <laughs> so, I mean, it will be very different. These are, I think people love going to the theater in New York more than they do in LA. Yeah. And so I'll be curious. Yeah. I'm so excited, but they, and we they haven't been, been to anything. We've been rehearsing here in Los Angeles the last two weeks. Caroline just left yesterday. And so we've been rehearsing mm -hmm. here in Los Angeles and we have a director, Tom Caruso, Thomas Caruso, who is fabulous. And he has brought a whole new energy and a whole new thing to the to the entire experience. And before we were carrying scripts, because we didn't even know how many performances we were going to end up doing and getting rid of the scripts and just dealing with each other and the relationships and the people and behavior and everything. It has given us a whole new level. So even if an audience, even if someone saw it in Los Angeles, it's going to be a totally different experience uh, in New York, my, 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 you know, Judd Hirsch and Jim Brooks, they all came to the show and they can't wait. They can't wait to come because they, they loved it in LA, but they know they're really going to love it in New York. That's and I so think that we, we've eliminated process in the development of theater. It's, uh, it's been the more and more it's become commodified, as you know, I mean, shows don't even go out of town anymore. Do you know what I mean? So we've had mm -hmm. the luxury of the pandemic was unfortunate, but it also gave time for development. Then we had our LA production. And this production will be one more step in the evolution of this piece. And I, you know, I wish we could bring that back in my salad days. Everything before it hit the boards had a long development process. And now you have three weeks rehearsal and you're up. And so I'm so glad we don't have that. Right. We've had it's, some time for this to marinate. It's budget. It's all budget. The, the industry has changed and you can't afford to have anything just sit without an audience anymore. Right. I know. I know. And it's such a shame. You know, I keep going back and reading act one and realizing that the, that, that play had like five incarnations before it became a hit and hit the stage because it, you know, the best art comes through process. And the more and more we telescope that down into a tiny, tiny little amount of time, we're jipping ourselves and our theater artists of the best inside of them. But I get it. It's a practical Wow. Well, I can't wait to see the show. I'm definitely going to see it. I'll let you know when I'm there because it sounds good. like it's going to be a raucous good time. Hang on, everybody. We're just going to take a quick break. All right. Now we're back. I want to rewind now and, and pick up the origin stories, which normally is how I start on these episodes. But like what got you two into theater? What made you fall in love with performing? So, Caroline, let's start with you then. Because I went to a summer camp. When I was growing up and you had a choice between climbing a mountain or being in a bunk show and <laughs> I picked a bunk show and that, that, that was the beginning of my theater career and my mother always said that was her big mistake was sending me to that camp. But anyway, I, I did, that's what I, I would, I'll do the bunk show and I played um, Senator Rockins in Finian's Rainbow was my debut. And once I, you know, once you get bit by the bug, it never goes away. So that was when I was about, 10, and that's what started me in the theater. And then, of course, when I graduated from college, I was in an experimental theater company in Washington, D.C. that was set up by Yersi Grotowski and Peter Brook and Lee Strasberg. And that was, you know, uh, we weren't so much actors as we were talismans of the spirit, but really I wanted to pause and make up. So I kept going to New York, you know, sneaking off on the weekends. And then finally I left this theater company and I, and I came to Manhattan. And I ended up in Los Angeles because I was brought out there to do a play. Um, so that was my origin of beginning in the theater. 
Mm, and my, my origin was my family owned a dancing school in Chicago. It was actually in our backyard because it was our garage. But we had 200 students between the ages of two and 80, including the nuns from the Catholic school next door who came over for stretch classes. So as soon as you were 14, you taught a class. And so I just grew up singing and dancing and my father would drive the nuns on Sunday and I would like sing like Ethel Merman or Barbara Streisand or uh, Julie Andrews or whomever, you know. And so I was very theatrical as a little kid. And because the dancing school, people would call and say, we need 12 kids for the king and I be like, pick me, pick me. We need two kids for South Pacific. Pick me, pick me. So I got involved in Chicago community theater through all of this. And when I was 15, I did a very successful production of The Boyfriend at Hull House. And there was a guy in it that I totally bonded with. He was much older than I was over 10 years older and a blast. He called and he was working for an advertising agency and doing like personal ads for people and things like that. Anyway, two years later, he called me. He said, Henner, I've written this show. It may never get off the ground. We're gonna perform it in a converted trolley barn. I wrote it about the kids I went to high school. I want you to play a part, and it's called Grease. So long before the movie, you know, the, the, the uh, reality series, even before Grease on Ice, I did the original company in Chicago. And I played Marty. Wow. And then when the show was going to go to New York, they wanted some of us to come and audition. And I said, no, it's not going to be a hit. So I went to University of Chicago. Greece went to Broadway. And then when the national company came up, Jim called me and he said, you're going to kick yourself in the ass if you don't fly today. I saved your part for you. And I did. I flew. I got the job. And in that room for the first national company was uh, Jeff Conaway playing Danny, Danny Zuko, Judy Kaye playing... Rizzo, Jerry Zachs playing Kanicki, oh. Johnny Travolta playing Duty, and rehearsing with us for the London Company was Richard Gere. So that's how I started. And then one, then the following year, I ended up doing Over Here, and that, that's what brought me to Broadway. That was my Broadway debut. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Both of those, oh, those stories are, are awesome. I love how, I mean, it sounds like... All of a sudden, you just wanted to do it, and things just fell fell into place. But I'm sure well, there was some sort of like <laughs> it, it, struggle and heartache and stuff in the meantime. Sure. Yes. Yeah. It continues to today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just say it, it, that struggle and heartache never goes away. No. But that's what you makes know, you, it. You know. But that's. You, I think that's what makes it. Uh, it's. It's. I think as a theater artist, you never stop being aspirational. Yeah. Because really, if you love I what you do, real. you never even think of it as work. I mean, certainly Caroline and I have worked for three things, you know, and we've certainly worked like we've we've looked at each other going. She says, OK, I'm sorry, I, I owe you or I've said the same thing. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's just you just keep going because you love what you do. You love it. You love it. And if something can talk you out of it, let it because it is going to be tough. But my son directed and wrote and edited theater camp. And he never uses me. He always uses Caroline. She was his, she's always like his muse. <laughs> but I'm allowed to say that. And they won an award at Sundance and everything else. So I hope yeah. a lot of your listeners have seen it. I hope you've seen it. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Maybe you didn't know that that was Nick Lieberman is my son. And so I, as a proud I, mama can say, and as a proud friend, I can say how brilliant Caroline is in it and all the kids in it. Everybody is fantastic. Wow. Well, okay. So then going, going to the TV side, the TV and film side of things, then both of you have such uh, amazing TV and film credits, uh, in addition to the theater that of course my listeners most likely know you for, but is, 
I guess, was that harder or easier than it is now? Because you were saying that, that now, like, everyone like is sort of just out there. You can be discovered on social media and whatnot. But was it, like, before the the age of the internet that we're living in now, was it one path or the other or that you had to choose between? I'll tell you mine because it was kind of fun. I was taking classes at HB Studios with the great Uta Hagen. And Mike Nichols was a guest teacher and he saw me in a scene and he cast me in Heartburn. And that was the beginning of me working on film, which I had never expected to do. Um, but it was cool that he was my, who's, is that your puppy? That's my puppy. No, that's I Mary's. I don't deal with him. Oh. Oh, sorry. Oh. Um, was it like, um, it was uh, it was really exciting because Mike made the transition from stage to film and back again. You know, the greatest director that probably ever lived, who was also a great performer. And um, that was the way I started being in front of a camera was through the theater. Wow. Yeah. So it just it just sat down in front of you and you ran down that path. I love. Yeah, that. exactly. I think that, I mean, I'm sure that everyone's origin story is different in terms of ending up on film or television. As you said, now there's a whole nother sort of like runway into that, which was not, didn't exist for us. And I think that everybody's story is really unique. I didn't ever think about auditioning for film or television because I was in New York and, you know, this was like my passion was the theater. And then when that started with Heartburn, then it kept growing from there with all of the great directors that I got to work with coming out of New York, including Woody Allen and Paul Mazursky and Robert Altman and mm -hmm. those people. I mean, I made my Broadway debut in Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean with Cher, Sandy Dennis and Karen Black, and then Robert Altman made that into a film. So um, that was his stage debut was Jimmy Dean. And then I ended up working with him as a filmmaker. So it all my roads kind of led back to the theater when I started working in film and TV. That's incredible. And I, yeah. I love that. And then now, I mean, you have something like Maisel that's just shot here in New York. Yes. So, so you've got that quality that people expect, or I guess from a legacy standpoint, would expect to come out of LA. But no, like there's Maisel and so much, so many other things are now in New York. And this is what I was kind of getting at earlier with my question about like, if you want to be a real actor, TV and film wise, you got to go to the West Coast before. Yeah. But now because so much is shot in New York and around yeah, here... There's so much opportunity to do both on the East Coast. Yeah, I think that at one point last year, there were more shows being shot in New York than L.A. I don't know why that switch sort of happened, but I think that it did. And it's it's really exciting that you can belong to either place and have a career. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and you know, it's too bad that we're so muzzled about certain projects that we've both done and things, blah, blah, blah. You know, anything we've had a contract for, we're not supposed to talk about. But um, there's so many great things that I'm watching and that go on in New York. And I keep feeling like I want to come here and do the play because I want to get into some of those things that they're shooting in New York right now, <laughs> which is like so great. So we're going to be inviting a lot of people as well as doing more theater and more. I, I definitely want to do another musical. That's like where my heart is uh, to be able to sing and dance and 
I'll be doing my, my show and everything else. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's so it's too bad that we always have to be that right now. But I understand it. I mean, you know, we're like going for something here with the, the SAG strike. So it's it's uh, we'll have to come back and talk to you when we can really tell you some juicy stories about the jobs that we've done that we would be allowed to talk about because we well, I'm holding you much. I'm holding you to that okay so what's this what you have because I, I want to hear the stories and then real quick too I just want to touch on on your books real quick Mary sure. Lee, because you've you're a New York Times bestseller and you've you you have you, have you ever watched suits have you seen yep. that on uh yep. Yeah, like, you know, Mike Ross has this photographic memory and I sort of see you as a real life Mike Ross because what it, what do you actually have? It's a hyper... No, they don't call it that anymore. It's not called hyperthymesia. Oh, they, highly superior autobiographical memory, HSAM. Highly superior so what, autobiographical okay. memory. And what it basically is, is that you remember virtually every day of your life. Even as a child, people would say, you know, what's with that kid and her memory? And anybody who knew me knew that I had this memory. So Leslie Stahl became a friend of mine because I worked with her husband on a movie I can't mention that he wrote um, based on, on a uh, Rolling Stone article. And so, um, so anyway, so she was offered a story about a woman who couldn't forget anything. And she said, hey, hate to burst your bubble, but my friend Mary Lou Henner has the exact same memory. So three years later, she called me. She said, it is so rare They've only found four other people. You're going to be the person we test on camera. So they tested me on camera. It was a big two-parter. There were six of us originally. And um, and so and five of us were in that one, uh, in that episode. Um, and so what they did is they wired me, put me through an MRI, asked me tons of questions, took 300 measurements of my brain, and they found nine areas 10 times larger than the normal brain. And all of the people who have HSAM, we all over-index in the exact same areas. So they know that wow. it's something unusual and biological. Uh, now, I do believe that everyone can have a better memory than they do, because I know for a fact, I grew up as one of six kids. So it was something I knew was a little different. And it was a definite nature and nurture kind of working together. People have gotten so lazy because we spent all of our times looking into our phones. And so mm -hmm. we let something else record everything for us. And nobody's paying attention. Nobody's attention units or most people's attention units. People don't remember phone numbers anymore or whatever. So I've written books. I wrote a New York Times bestselling book about about memory and about how we can use our memory and use our strengths because everybody remembers something especially well. So the testing is ongoing. I was tested just a few months ago and they're constantly updating the numbers. There's a group of 12 of us. Well, there were 12, one of them passed away. There's a group of us in the upper, this upper percentile, but you know, there's like, it, 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 we're, they're not finding that many people. It's shocking to me that there aren't more people who have this kind of memory because it's the numbers, you know, in the top group, it's 11 now. And in the world group, in terms of like uh, a different percentile, it's like um, 87. So that's insane. It's crazy. Yeah. It's great. It's People always say it's a, a blessing or curse. I would say it's a blessing yeah. for me, a curse for my husband, which is why I'm on my third and final. <laughs> <laughs> you, had, you had two, two starter marriages. Yeah. That's what you need to yeah, say. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, two, yeah. So uh, I normally wrap up uh, the episodes with three closing questions that I ask everyone, but I want to throw in one extra one for you just to start out, which is what do you respect the most about one another? So Mary Lou, what do you respect the most about Carolyn? Oh man. Wow. Okay. 
Well, first, uh, it, there's not going to be just one thing because, it, I mean, she's got an extraordinary sense of humor and she is a great friend. She's a great actress, but she is a great friend and somebody and we can bust each other on stuff all the time. So I love the honesty and um, I'm a talker. But when I'm with Caroline, I don't have to work that hard. <laughs> so, <laughs> she's she is the funniest person I know. And that's, you know, and she's genuine. She's like a real character. And I always want her at every party that I throw, every table that I serve, because she's going to keep it, you know, she's like amazing. She's just an amazing human hmm. being. And I'm not surprised that we hmm. fell madly in love with Dr. We went for coffee right after that first day. And she came down the stairs in this coat. And I remember the visual of her. And then she came down the stairs and we went out for coffee and we just never stopped talking. And it was such a good feeling to oh, know I that it. I was going to be coming to New York to do this play and that I would find family. Mm. So, All right, Caroline, what do you love the most about Mary Lou? I would say um, the thing I respect the most about her is her sense of family. I used to joke all the time after we became friends that I became a henner. And Mary Lou opens her arms wide and embraces everyone and turns them into family. That includes loyalty, devotion and encouragement to everyone that she really cares about. And that is so unusual, I have to say, in a friendship. And I have to tell you that when we first became friends, because we are so not anything alike, Nothing. that my friends would go, are you friends? why are you friends with her? Right? I'm sure people said that to her, but we consider ourselves the Felix and Oscar. Of, I mean, I helped Mary Lou with her books on health while I was smoking outside her kitchen window, going to chapter on tofu. It needs a little, it needs something a little more interesting. You know? So we really don't have anything in common, except that I have such enormous respect for her sense of discipline, her sense of family, and for her commitment to working hard. It's unbelievable how many people don't work hard, whatever it is that they're passionate about. I find that um, uh, inspiring. And also I've, I've found a soulmate in that way. Working hard has its own rewards. Yeah, it does. Mm, yeah. That is beautiful. And Thank resilience, you, you know, I right. mean, our, our kids are resilient. We make jokes about it all the time about, you know, uh, Carolina, I, my, my, I wrote a book called I Refuse to Raise a Brat because my kids are, you know, they're not brats at all. They, yeah, they're millennials with a work ethic, obviously. And so, uh, you know, but there were certain, not rules, but certain things, you know, like no, I, I would never, um, there were no, uh, what is it called? Like um, idle threats. There's no idle threats. You don't say, if you don't do this, you're not going to come to our vacation. You know, it's like, that's ridiculous. Parents are not going to say something. You know what I'm saying? They're never going to follow through. Yeah. I'm very big on follow through. If you say you're supposed to do this and you're not going to do it. So we, Caroline always said that I was the house of no, and she was the house of yes. And I'd say, yeah, but your voice is so threatening sounding. Your yes sounds <laughs> like a no. Your voice is booming compared to mine. So, you know, right. But, right. but she said, I mean, may lose that. You know, I said, okay, when we would fight about this because we were supposed to go somewhere, her boys were really little and she went, if you're not ready in five minutes, we're leaving. And then she left and I was astonished. And then we started arguing about parenting and I said, let's just see who gets the first call from the police station. That will say. <laughs> but nobody <laughs> but we have neither. Nobody, nobody got had. that phone call. Yeah, yeah. Fair. Yeah. Hang on, everybody. We're just going to take a quick break. All right, now we're back. 
All right. So the three uh, closing questions that I ask everyone, um, we'll start with uh, Flipcoin. Ching, ching. Okay, Mary Lou, you're first up. What motivates you? Oh, oh my gosh, so much. What doesn't? I mean, everything. Adversity motivates me. Criticism motivates me. Uh, feeling passionate about something motivates me. Feeling, you know, somebody saying something nice motivates me. I mean, I, I'm a very, very motivated person. I mean, yeah, I feel motivated by everything. And, um, you know, I just... I don't know. I just can find everything. You know, it's like the key to your life is how well you deal with plan B. So if something doesn't happen the way I expected, it's like, okay, what was around that corner? All right, let's try this. Maybe there's a reason. Let's look for that. You know, and I don't I I don't feel victimized by things. So I'm always looking for that. Like what you know, what's the opportunity? So I think I'm always looking for the opportunity and everything. Fair. All right. I like that. Caroline. What motivates me is, unfortunately, I had I had death at an early age. My father died when I was a child. My mother died quite young. And I think death is a great teacher. And I think the thing that probably motivates me the most is that the, the lesson in all of that is to cherish life. I really do not feel comfortable wasting time. And, and I also came from... Uh, my mother was a great civil rights activist, and I was taught to leave the world a better place. And that takes a lot of time and motivation. There are things about which I am not motivated, which I wish I could take a pill for more motivation. I actually went to therapy one time and asked if my therapist could turn me into Mary Lou. And she went, it doesn't work because she's so motivated, like she's she's so completely healthy. She's I mean, all the things that I would like an to upgrade within myself, but the things about which I am motivated, I am profoundly motivated. Um, so, you know, I think it's, I think I know that, you know, life is short as well as very long, but in the short column, I think we really just have to cherish what's in front of us and make the most of it. And that is really my motivation. Mm. Yeah, That is beautiful. So yeah, therapist out there, everyone be a Mary Lou. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. So, Caroline, we'll start with you on the second question here. And I know that we are sh coming short on time because Mary Lou, you got a flight to catch. I'm fine. Uh, okay. So, uh, so Caroline, what advice would you give your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Okay. I would say try to be the lone voice. It doesn't mean you're lonely, but try and be the lone voice and avoid the herd mentality, which may make you comfortable but if you can learn to live with uncomfortable feelings, you will get much further than if you were always trying to avoid discomfort. Nice. And I would try and tell that to myself. Mary Lou. Um, well, I auditioned for 40 commercials before I got one because I kept thinking, oh, I know what they want. I know what they want. And finally, my 39th audition was for a friend and I did it, you know, like me. And he said, are you, he said, and, and I wasn't even right for the commercial. And he said, are you uh, doing this in your auditions? And I went, no, I just did it like that because you were there. He said, no, you've got to do that. You've got to find what is it that you get for free? What is it that you, you know, don't, don't hide your, you know, light under a bushel, you know, whatever the expression is. It, I, I just worked with these kids the other night and they were asking me and I said, you're nobody's going to be better than you. Nobody's going to be a better you than you. So just celebrate what makes mm -hmm. you unique and what makes you special and what, you know, don't try to like just 
find that herd mentality. Don't just do what you think everybody else wants. And I learned so early in my career that, that uh, you know, just going with that kind of, oh, I know what they want and I'm going to give them that is not going to get me the job. Right. And it didn't. And so when I started mm. like sort of celebrating who I was or maybe something was a little different, you're not going to get every job. And sometimes you could be totally off, but at least make the choices that are yours, you know, and so many mm. young kids today. I mean, look at, I mean, look at the, the movie we were talking about, Ben and Beanie and all these kids that are, that my son, you know, we all, they all grew up together. I mean, they're very special and unique characters, you know, and maybe years ago, they might not have had the careers that they've had, but you can't, you, you can't help but watch somebody become a star when they are so totally committed to who they are. Hmm. I love that. All right. So final question now. This is the hardest one. Mary Lou, we'll start with you okay. again. If you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Hamilton. Because it just, every time I've seen it, I've seen it seven times. I've listened to the album a million times. I always find something different in the lyrics. You know, when I read that most uh, most um, musicals have 7,500 7, words and uh, Hamilton is like 22,000, you know? <laughs> so it's like- I didn't know. Yeah, it's three times. It's extremely dense. So it would be Hamilton. And I love Lin-Manuel. And most of those words are in Guns and Ships. Yeah. that song <laughs> so fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Caroline, what would you say? Anything written by Tennessee Williams. So nice. I just have to, I mean, you know, a bad production. I've seen many of a glass menagerie streetcar named Desire, but he really floats my boat. So every time I have a chance to see anything written by Tennessee Williams, I'll be sitting in the dark watching it. Awesome. I can't, right, you know, you most people don't know that Caroline is from the South. Everybody thinks she's from New York. Yeah. But she's from the South. That's yes, one of the surprising things about her. And if you ever see how oh, she yeah. sets a table or whatever, you get it. <laughs> Yeah. With like the, the multiple sets of silverware and the napkin yes, exactly. nicely folded. Yes. Did you, wait, are you from the South? Because that's exactly North right. North Carolina, yeah. Nope. Yes, do I lease everything? Okay, so yep, you yep, yep. get it. Oh, I oh, get it. I totally get it. get it. Are you guys on uh, social media anywhere? Yes. Do you play that game? I'm on Twitter. I love Twitter. Uh, I'm at The Real Mary Lou, M-A-R-I-L-U, The Real Mary Lou. And that's also my Instagram handle as well. Yeah. And we'll link that in the show notes. Caroline, are you on Insta uh, Instagram, Twitter, anywhere? I am, and I think those are my same handles, but I'm not really <laughs> sure. But, but it is the real Caroline Aaron at, at Twitter and Instagram. But, you know, I'm not quite up, up on it, but I'm trying. That's all I can say. I'm, I'm really more of an in-person person. person. <laughs> That's <laughs> I, all I, I can say. I would totally... be happy to talk to anybody in person. But, yes, I have, I have all of those things. I hear that. All right, everybody, follow them online uh, and go see Mad Women of the West. Get your tickets uh, now, and you can get them a telecharge. Get your tickets. Get them now because we are going to sell out just like we did in Los Angeles, and I want everybody to come and see it. Me yeah. too. Me too. It sounds so great. I can't wait to see it. Thank you so much, Thank both you. of you, for for having this conversation. Okay. You, you've been so much fun to talk to. <laughs> Thank you. We're coming Abby. back. You've Remember, we're coming back after you've seen it. Yes. And yes. when we can really talk about the things that we've done. And after the strike. Yeah. All right. Please. I'm holding you to it. After you the strike, it. we're gonna do it. So we'll get we'll get in person. we in New York, and we're gonna do this upright. Excellent. All right. All right. Thank All you. Right. So Thank much. you so much. Good flight. Take a deep breath. Make the world a little colorful. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.